0: First Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen says, "And without controversy, somebody say, without controversy, the, you understand what that means there's no debate, no arguing, there's no fussing, there's nothing to, 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 to you know butt heads about there's no problems there it says and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, so it's telling us there's no controversy controversy the, the, the Godliness is a mysterious thing. There's no controversy about that. Godliness is a mysterious thing, which means you won't always understand it. And so for us as just normal human beings trying to think that we will always understand godliness, we have missed that boat and it's gone. It's not coming back because we will not always understand godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Justified in the spirit seen of angels preach unto the gentiles believed on in this in the world received up in glory now the first thing you want to take note of after we said there's no controversy godliness is a very mysterious thing the second thing i want you to look at is this god was manifest in the flesh now, why does God need to be manifest in the flesh? Anybody a, 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 um, want to answer that for me? Why was God manifest in the flesh? Yes, sir. Okay. So, so when the Bible says God was manifest in flesh, what it's telling us is the origination of God is unseen. Right? So what both men said, yes, the origination of God is that he, he was unseen. And so because he was unseen, the only way he could be seen was to be manifested. So when you look up the definition of what the Bible is telling us about manifestation, it's saying that when you manifest yourself, it means when, you, when you're manifesting something, particularly God says, I manifest, God was manifested, it's saying that he showed himself. You could not see God as an invisible spirit. So the only way to see him, he had to show himself by visible flesh. So he became a man. Right. And that's why I tell you it's important that that is the most essential and the most important thing to first know about the word of God. That the invisible God that we could not see determined that he had to make himself seen. And the only way he could was becoming one of us. Why did he have to become one of us? Because in this world, human beings are the legal people that lives in this world. So in order to be seen, he had to become like one of us legally. But let me also say this without getting you all confused. We became like him. He didn't become like us. Because what happens is how he creates He created everything in his mind, right? Everything that we see today was in the mind of God. So as a spirit, everything that we see today, including ourselves as human beings, it was in the mind of God. So he went down the line in order in his mind, in his creative power, understanding what he will bring forth first, what he will bring forth second, what he would do third, but it was all in his mind. And so when he thought about that he was going to manifest himself, It meant that, okay, I am going to look like this when I manifest myself, when I make myself known to them. When I show myself to them, this is how I'm going to look. Well, if that's how I'm going to look, then maybe I'll create them the way I would look. It's all in his mind. And then everything starts coming off. So, So it says God was manifesting. So God needed to show himself because as a spirit, when he says, let there be light, He was invisible. He was speaking these things into existence because he was invisible. Then he says, let there be light. He was speaking these things. So the bottom line is, God created everything as a spirit. But it says here to prove that he really did manifest. He says, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit. Okay? So while he was flesh, he was still God. That's what he's saying. While I'm flesh, I'm still God. I didn't cease to be God because now I look like one of you all. I'm still God even though I'm now manifested. So that's what it means by he was justified in the spirit. He was seen of angels. So the angels that was with him in heaven, okay, they were down looking and seeing like, oh my goodness, the almighty that's on the throne, he looks like them. This is why angels, no matter how more powerful they are than us, they find us very interesting. Because they're saying, why would the almighty that sits on the throne want to look like them? That's how special we are. So that's why angels is like at awe about us, even though they're more superior in power than us. They're in awe because they know the one that sits on the throne, the one that created them and us and the one that created everything came into this world looking like us. They say, what in the world is this? Who are those people? So, he was justified in the spirit. He was seen of angels. He preached to the world. Preached to the world. Believed on in the world. And received back up in glory. Who did that just describe? Didn't hear you? Jesus. What we just read described Jesus. Do you know that nobody is in heaven but Jesus? The Bible says no man has ascended into heaven but Jesus. Everyone that dies go into his presence, but they're not in heaven. The rapture will get us all in heaven. We'll get to that. That's not my topic tonight, but I'm just letting you know no one is in heaven but Jesus. He's the only one that ascended in heaven. So when it says, believed on in this world and received up in glory, it can only be talking about Jesus because only one ever went into heaven. Nobody else went to heaven. Read your Bible, check it out, good as you can, and you will not see that anyone ever went to heaven. They went into the presence of God, but they never went to heaven. Say again. In the presence of God nobody's in heaven. Well, that's a whole different ballgame. I, I won't get into that right now, but but nobody's in heaven, just God himself. Everybody else is in his presence. Someone describe it like this, and we don't have Bible for it, so don't tell anybody this. Someone describe it like this. This room is heaven, and the vestibule out there is where everybody is waiting to get in. Now, we don't have bible for that so don't tell anybody that but it makes sense so the presence of god the, the awesome presence of god filled heaven but but of course the vestibule or the gateway that leads to heaven is filled with his presence too they're just not in his dwelling place we will be in the dwelling place when the rapture takes place so that's why only person this scripture could be talking about in first timothy three sixteen, it only could be talking about jesus christ So we know Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Yes, sir. Absolutely. The tabernacle is set up to represent everything about Jesus coming and resurrection and ascension. Yes. What is the meaning? I I didn't um, state what I'm talking about tonight and I will state it now. The, the, The topic of this Bible study tonight is the manifestation of God the manifestation of God. Why was God manifested? Now, I'm sure we can come up with some answers, but I'm going to let you answer it. I'm going to answer it tonight for you biblically, not by what we can just throw, throw together, but biblically because the scriptures always interpret interpret itself. So we're going to let the scripture tell us why God manifested. Yes. Well, when, it's, when, it's, when, when it says grave, good question, very good question. When it says grave, it's just talking about where your physical flesh was laid. Right? You, you are, your soul is who you are. When we die, our flesh go in the ground, our soul go in the presence of God, and our, the, the breath that's in us go back to God because God blew the breath, so the breath go back to God. Our soul is what's in the vestibule, and our body is in that grave. So, when the Bible talks about grave it's not it's not really referring to you being in the grave; it's all about your flesh being in the grave, but your soul, if you are a Christian, your soul will be in the vestibule or the presence of God, and your body will be in the ground you're no longer breathing that breath that he gave you because he took that back, and that's what killed your body, so you're living as a soul while you wait for eternity yeah and you and you notice and you notice. Um, she's talking about Luke chapter 16, about when um, the rich man died and, 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 um, and Lazarus died. And, and you, you see where it says, Lazarus was carried away in Abraham's bosom. The rich man opened his eyes in hell. Okay? That was all just to give you an illustration of what he was going through. But his soul is, was in hell. Because the way you think, the way you operate, who you are, how you process, that's your soul. That's your soul. And so that's the thing that is still alive. Remember, why, why can't the soul be destroyed? The soul cannot be destroyed because it came from God. The Bible says, and God created us, okay, from the dust of the earth and breathed into our nostril the breath of life and we became a living soul. So who we became really is what God gave us. It came from God. And so God can't die, so what came from him can't die either. So none of us really and truly die. Your flesh die, but your soul live forever because that soul came from God. And since God can't die, you can't die. (laughs) So that little death we talking about, about, you know, that flesh dying, And and we have the funeral and everything, I hear you, but your soul is living on. And you don't see it because your body is the thing that houses your soul. So we identify people by when we see them fleshly and physically, but at the end of the day, who they are, we can't see. No, because here's the deal. The Bible says there's a great golf fix between hell and heaven. When you die in sin, you can't come back no place. He can't because remember, remember his his body was buried. When you die, your body is buried. So you can't. It's not possible to do that because when you die, your body is buried. And you're in hell so you can't see what's going on on earth. I'm, I'm going to say no again because the Bible says, and the rich man died. And in hell he opened his eyes. That's Bible. So I only can give you what the Bible says. So the Bible says, in hell the rich man opened his eyes. It didn't say anything in between. So what we have always taught, according to the Bible, if you are in sin and you get into a car accident and you die immediately on the spot, the next time you're going to know what's happening is in hell. Or, well, I said if you're living in sin. <laughs> I, said, I said if you're living in sin. I said if you're living in sin. So that's what the Bible is teaching us, okay? <laughs> uh, all right, we good? We can move on? Any Anything else? All right, so manifestation means to show thyself. Now, to make your point, Brother Henry, I knew because you were a Bible scholar, you was going to mention this a little bit, but here's what the scripture, the clear scripture that you probably was trying to remember to give me is 1 John chapter 4, verse 12, and even verse 13 says this, No man had seen God at any time. No man has ever seen God at any time. So the bottom line is, In order for us to have seen God, he had to make himself known to us. He had to manifest himself. He had to show himself. And so to think that we are serving a God that won't show himself to us is to not understand who God really is. Because God wants to show himself to us. Right? So no man had ever seen God at any time. But we have seen Jesus Christ. Right? And so the way how we're able to see God is by Him manifesting Himself in a human. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him and He in us, because He had given us of His Spirit. So we can see God, but how do we know? Because just think about it we have never seen Jesus. So the people that are living here today in earth, all of us, we've never seen Jesus. So even though we know we've never seen God, but God manifested and, and became a man and we know him as Jesus Christ, we know we have never seen Jesus Christ. So we've never seen God because no man has ever seen God. But, but we, we that are living now, has never seen Jesus. So we have never seen God in every, any shape or form. But this scripture says that if we love one another his love is perfected in us. Or it says God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. That's that. That's very deep there. If we love one another, listen to this. If we love one another, God dwell in us. Now, some people take that to the extreme and say, well God must dwell in me. The only way God dwell in you, if The love that you show to people is the love God is talking about and not the love you have made up as a definition. So I don't want you to get carried away and says, well, God dwell in me because I love people. Well, according to who that you love people, according to how you look at it, according to what you have been taught by your parents or, or people you know, or according to the Bible. Because the Bible's love is different from our love. So when we demonstrate the Bible love, then we can say God dwell in us. And it says here, it says that uh, uh, hereby know that we, hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he had given us of his spirit. So the Bible says God is love. So when the Bible says he dwell in us, it's saying God, who is love, dwell in us. And the way to prove God is in us is by showing his character and nature. What is that? Love. So we're going to say we love God and we're going to say that God dwell in us. Then we have to show love like he showed love. It's, it's not listen, you know what I always say. love is not an emotion, but if you love you will show emotion right love is you can't be emotional all the time and, and 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 say that proves you love somebody no oh no 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 no, you can be emotional, and all we know you know what I said a long time ago um addiction is very close to love in our mind. we can be addicted to something and we claim that is love. No, no, no. You just you just addicted to that thing or you just selfish and you have something that you don't want to let go so you're going to act like you love it, but you really don't. It's your selfish desire that's saying, I don't want to lose that. That ain't love. That's just you being selfish, ready to fight for all that you need to fight for to make sure you don't lose that. So love will make you show emotions. But not showing emotion don't mean you love. And I learned that very well. Because I like to say our elders, very few of our real elders, I ain't talking about, you know, 50s and 60s. I'm talking about real elders. Real elders understood love and it wasn't a whole lot of affection coming behind it. They did. Because what is love? Not going to get deep into it, but the bottom line is, I always go with this bear for God so loved the world that he gave. He came himself into this world. And all I can think about is he sacrificed everything that he was enjoying to make sure the people he loved was happy. That's all I know. Because heaven is so great. Who in the world in their right mind, Brother D, who in their right mind on the throne? enjoying all the glory of it and says, well, let me go down to that place called earth that's all corrupt and nasty and sinful. And let me just go down there and, you know, become like one of them and let sin get on me and do everything I got to do to die for them. Who wants to do that? That, That's ridiculous. That's too much for people that know what they're doing and still choose to do it. Not even like we were ignorant. We knew what we were doing. We had the word of God, but we still decide I'm living the way I want. And God says I'm still going down there to help them. He knew exactly what would still happen, but he still do it. Still did it. So my point is that's some love. If you want to check and say what love really is, is will you sacrifice everything, all of your comfort, all of what you like, all of what you enjoy? Will you sacrifice all of that just so the one or the ones you say you love will be benefited? And most of the times, we will give enough until we get to a point where we say, that I'm not doing. That I'm not doing. I'll do this and I'll do that. And you know that that you're not doing? The that that you say you're not doing, that's the real sacrifice that would have proved you love. Because normally we do what we can handle. All right, I'm good with this. I'm good with this. Ah, Can I go without lunch for the next two weeks by giving my kids the money? Okay, I'm good with that. And we can run down a lot of good. And then there comes a situation where you're saying, well, hold on now. Let's talk about that. And I didn't didn't read anywhere in the scripture where Jesus was having a discussion in heaven whether he should come or he shouldn't come. (laughs) It just said he loved and he came. Let's move on. 1 John 3 and 1, it says this, Behold, what manner of love the Father had bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear... We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that had this hope in him purified himself, even as he is pure. The first thing I want to point out to you is God called us children. And we don't even realize the significance of him calling us children. By him calling us children... He is allowing us to understand the love that he has for us. You think about the love you have for your children, and we can't live, we don't love, and we I don't know we're capable of loving like he does. I say all the time to him, God, help me to love like you love. So I don't know if we're capable of loving like he loves. But when he say you are my child, when he say you are my children, that's the highest love that God could have ever offered to us because he called us children. What is it that you wouldn't do for your child? And if you, if there's something, then you ain't no good parent. But what is it that you wouldn't do for your child? And that's what he's trying to let us know, that once he called us his children, he is saying there's nothing that I wouldn't do for y'all. That's how much I love you because I called you children. He says that he has bestowed, the love that he has bestowed upon us, that we are called the sons of God. Therefore, listen to this one, therefore the world knoweth us not. The world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Let me tell you something. As a child of God, the people that are not children of God, they won't know you. They won't respect you. They won't acknowledge you because you are not of them. You are of God. The Bible says that he was never acknowledged. The Bible says they didn't know him. They didn't understand who he was. If they didn't understand who God was, how is it they supposed to understand you? But somehow, we as Christians are thinking that we need for people that are around us to understand us. When people don't understand me, they're not saved. I said, okay, I'm doing something right. But if they understand me real good, then something is wrong. They're not supposed to understand you if you're a child of God because they didn't understand your daddy. For you to allow someone that is not a child of God to tell you how you should be as a Christian or how you should look as a Christian, you might be a little cuckoo for thinking that. Anybody that's not a Christian should not tell me how I need to look. They should not tell me how I should be as a Christian. Only another Christian that's in their Bible and have a relationship with God should be able to tell me how I should look and how I should be. Which means I shouldn't be trying to follow nobody that's not a child of God. I shouldn't be trying to look like somebody that's not a child of God. If I'm a child of God, let me look like a child of God. If I'm not a child of God, then that's okay. I'm going to look like I'm not a child of God. But we should not attempt or try to fit in or try to look like those that are not a child of God. And to listen to them and say, oh, I don't know if that's how a Christian should be. Pay them no mind. They're not a child of God. How do they know what a Christian should be? So we, don't, we shouldn't be trying to, 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 to position ourselves to be known of this world. Because you will not be known of this world if you are a child of God. If you are going to become known of this world, you know what it means? You have forfeited your right as a child, as a daughter, or as a son. You have forfeited that right. If you decided, I want to be known, I want to be famous, I want to be somebody in this world, you have forfeited your right in being a child of God. Because you can't serve two masters. You can't have two daddies. You can't have a daddy that is called Almighty God and have one that's called the devil or this world. There's only one daddy you can have at a time. Not two. So God has, 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 was not known of this world. So if you're a child of God, you will not be known. That's a tough one, but I got to tell you this, and I got to be honest with you. Part of what kind of got me to this word tonight is, I believe we're taking our walk with God lightly. I believe The rapture is close, and I know we've been hearing this for a long time. I believe the rapture is close, and it's going to happen like we wouldn't anticipate. I think it's going to happen differently than we think, and it's close, and we're just still just casually trying to do this when we have a great inheritance that is waiting for us, and we're worried about the things down here, and we're worried about how we look, and we're worried about what people think about us, when at the end of the day, what they're striving for is not what I'm striving for. I can't worry about what they think about me. I gotta look the way God wants me to look. I gotta dress the way God wants me to dress. I gotta talk the way God wants me to talk. Because I belong to Him, I'm a child of God. When somebody asks you, why you look like that? Because I'm a child of God. Why you talk like that? Because I'm a child of God. Why you dress like that? Because I'm a child of God. Why you go to church like that? Because I'm a child of God. Why you read your Bible so much? Because I'm a child of God. Why you pray all the time? Because I'm a child of God. That's all it comes down to. He's my daddy and I'm his child. No sense of it trying to explain, well, this is a standard, and this is how we do, and this is No, I'm a child of God, My daddy, His name is Jesus Christ. That's my daddy. I'm trying to live to please him. The other day, a while back, um, Jordan always tried to do things on his own, and I appreciate that, and I will never discourage him not to try to do things on his own. But sometimes he get a little beyond himself and try to do more, and he make a mess. And so, a while back, he tried to do something on his own. He spilled something, and I was upset with him. And we got it straight now. So a couple of days ago, I came in the house, and he was drinking something, and the lid wasn't tightly on it. And he was so happy to see me, and he picked it up and was trying to show me what he was drinking. Splash! You know what came out of his mouth? He said, "Oh, Daddy, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so." He he just, he was just so broken. He was just broken up that he, he know we had this long discussion about the last time he messed up. So this time he messed up, he was, he didn't want to be, he didn't want to disappoint me. So he was just apologizing, apologizing. It was no big deal to me. I just, I, I, cleaned it up even though I said he needs to clean it up. But I, what happened was just, I knew he was so disappointed that he disappointed me. That was enough for me. What's my point? My point is, he is doing his best to make sure he pleased me. I'm his dad. We had a, a, a conversation, and we got to the place where we understood, I don't want you to do this, but I want you to do this. He understood that. That stayed with him, and he's trying to live his life to be who he is, but to still make sure he obeys his daddy. We are the children of God. We're supposed to be living to try to obey our daddy. And when we mess up, we got to do like Jordan did. I am so sorry and be all distraught and everything because you disappointed your dad. That's how it works. So you don't have to apologize to nobody for how you look. You don't have to apologize to nobody for the things that you do. You are a child of God. And if they're not a child of God, I could care less about what they think about me. Because they don't know how to be a child of God. How can he tell me anything? Somebody see me. Though we are children of God, there is no physical evidence of, us being children of God. We don't have a body like he does. The things that he can bear and things that he can do, we don't have that because he has that supernatural body, but one day we're going to get that body and we will be like him as the scripture says. Such transformation will re, will result from seeing him when we get to heaven we'll have a, a body like him. Look at what um, verse five says in Well, let's look at verse 4. It says, whosoever whosoever committed sin transgressed also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. Look at verse 5. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abided in him sinned not whosoever sinned had not seen him neither know him so let me kind of help you with that the question today is why was god we said we, we said the topic is the manifestation of god the question is why was god manifested the first reason why god was manifested was to take away sins the first reason for what God, why God was manifested was to take away our sins. That's why he became a man, because as God, he didn't have flesh and blood. As God, you couldn't kill him. As God, you couldn't see him. So he couldn't do anything about the sin problem as God. That's why the Old Testament, all throughout the Old Testament, Brother Teddy, they talked about God. You never read Jesus in the Old Testament, because it was God, the invisible one. And so because the invisible one was the one that was present in the Old Testament, they had to use animal blood. They had to kill animals and shed the animal blood to, get, to remove sins. So because they had to use animal bloods back then, if we had continued, we would probably have no animals today. <laughs> so that's what they used in the Old Testament to get rid of sins. So in order for him to say, let me just take care of the sin problem once and for all, He had to be the one to come. And remember when they use animals, it had to be an unblemished animal and a young one. So it had to be the best animal. It had to be unblemished. And so he became the sacrificial lamb is what the scripture says. So when Jesus came, he came to take away the sins of all mankind. Now, you know what I love about this? Only one that's without sin could have taken away and dealt with the sin problem we had no one that had sin in their life that had committed sin could be the one to 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 take on the problems of sin to handle the sin problem no one you know what that means clearly all of us according to the scripture have sinned. we look silly when we talk about each other's sin we're silly we, we look ridiculous when we talk about each other's sin. We do. Because if we were so good, God would have said, all right, since you're so good and you never sinned, I'm going to let you be the one to die for them. Because you have no sin. You're just pure as a driven snow. You are the one that is unblemished. You're just fantastic. You're just awesome. So I'm going to let you die for them. I'm going to let your blood be shed to remove their sins. So, it meant that there was not one person, Teddy, qualified to die for anybody. No person in all the world was qualified to die to remove sin. None. If that's the case, how in the world can we ever look at someone and say, yeah, because you blah, blah, blah. Because, yeah, you did. Are you kidding me? You kidding me? We all have sin, and we all still sin. So the bottom line is we look silly criticizing each other. All we can do when somebody sin is to try to go to them and help them help restore them. That's all we can do. Or if we just not in a position to go and help restore them, we need to pray that God will send somebody to help them get restored. That's all we can do when people are sinning. And check this out. The only people that sin are people that are children of God. Because if you're not a child of God, you're just living with how you know how to live. So we should never roll up on somebody talking about, you ain't right, you're sinning. That's why we don't have any right to ever get into the homosexual conversation or the lesbian conversation. We don't need to get into that because if they're not living for God, what does it matter? We get crazy about that and we want to stand on our Christian platform. Yeah, because it's a sin. They're not living for God. Who cares? Now, if they're living for God and they're struggling with that sin, now we can pray and say, God, will you use me to help them get restored? And will you deliver them from that sin because they're your child and they have a problem? But if they're living in the world and they're doing what the world do, why are we going to get all worked up about it? They're not children of God. It grieves us, and we want to pray that they get saved. But it's not right for Christians to stand on their soapbox and talk about the homosexuals and the gays and people that's doing wrong. That's clearly showing you their life is according to this world. It's not according to the things of God. We just need to pray for them. So God was manifested in flesh to deal with the sin problem that we were experiencing. Nobody else could have done that only he could have done that and so he came to deal with the sin problem no one who lives or abides in Christ keeps on sinning. I'm going to work with that a little bit. no one who continues to sin has either seen or know him. A child of God does not sin habitually somebody say habitually that is sin is not his or her way of life the scripture is not saying that sinless perfection must be achieved and that those who fail to do so lose salvation so the bible is not telling us all of us must live sinless after we get saved and be perfect it's just saying Your sin should not be habitual. Your sin should not be just normal and natural to you. It's supposed to be unnatural. You're supposed to act like Jordan did the other day when you sin against God. You're supposed to freak out. Oh, my goodness, God, I'm so sorry. Oh, that's how we're supposed to act when we sin against him. Because what we realize, we're disappointing him. We're we're dropping the ball. We're disobeying him. And if you are his child, that's supposed to disturb you. It's supposed to make you uncomfortable. When you're comfortable with sinning, it, it, it means you're not in relationship with him. Can't be in relationship with him and be comfortable with sin. Can't. Sin can never come out of seeing and knowing God so you having a relationship with God sin can't come out of that it can never be a part of the experience of abiding in God no one who abides in God sins willingly for the child of God sin is abnormal and unnatural his whole bent of life is away from sin the fact remains however that Christians do not experience the sinless life perfectly on this earth. Christians still experiencing, experiences a sin, experiences a genuine struggle with the flesh and overcome it, overcome its impulses only by the help of the Holy Ghost. So what sin try to do sometimes is catch us off guard because we were so used to sinning. Meaning doing wrong, disobeying God all of our lives that when we get saved and become children of God, it seems like sometimes some things just just impulsively come up in our life and we do it, you know, we, we, we get impulse to tell a lie. Because we live like that for so long, so our impulse make us want to lie. But if you become a child of God, which means God's spirit dwell in you, every time something like that is going to happen, that Holy Ghost is in you to check you. know, no, no, no. Don't do that. Because we were naturally sinners before we came to God. And so our impulse still challenges us to make us do things that are not pleasing to God. But that's why we need the Holy Ghost. Anybody that try to tell you you don't need the Holy Ghost, they don't, they, they, they're not a child of God. They're not a child of God. My kids got me in them. Your kids got you in them. There's no way we're going to be a child of God and don't have God in us. <laughs> Some of this stuff is simple. Why so simple? Maybe it's just me. Some of this stuff is simple and somehow, I don't know, we don't make the connection. I don't know. Maybe since God made me realize how natural things and spiritual things run parallel, I guess since that it just makes things a lot lot simple for me. But to me, if your children got you in them, how in the world you expect to be a child of God and don't have God in you? Don't make sense. Don't make sense, Teddy. So, so for people to be uncomfortable with the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit dwelling in them and talking in tongues and moving by God's power, you're crazy if you don't think that's normal. And if you don't think it's normal, then you've got to ask yourself, am I really a child of God? Am I really a son of God or a daughter of God? Because I'm not supposed to be like the normal people. If I'm like the normal people, I must not have God. But if I'm abnormal and I speak this language that nobody understands, I just bust out speaking it, I just pray like I'm crazy and I'm just not normal, then yeah, maybe I am a son of God. Maybe I am a child of God because I'm acting that way. But if I'm acting the way where everybody's like, okay, okay, hmm. it's okay to scream. It's okay to run the aisle. It's okay to lift your hands. It's okay to praise the Lord. It's okay to clap your hands. I have determined that you must see me and say, what's wrong with him? What's going on with him? Why is he passionate like that? I need somebody to look at me and ask, why is he like that? Because I'm a son of God. Because I'm a daughter of God. Because I'm a man of God. You need to look at somebody and say, yeah, buddy. And if somebody look at you, you're too cool, oh, you might have to check yourself. Because God's children got them. There's no, listen, sorry to keep on using Jordan as the example, but everybody that know me and know Jordan, what they say? He's just like you. Look at him. He just, I, he just do everything like you. Look at him. And our children usually do that. So how is in the world you're going to expect to be a child of God and somebody can't say, look at you. You're just like your dad. Come on, man. We got to get this thing together. Somebody need to look at us and say, we just like our dad. We're supposed to be able to look at somebody and say, be healed in Jesus' name. We just like our dad. We're supposed to pray. And when we pray, it's supposed to shake the place. We just like our dad. The manifestation of God. Verse seven. I'm almost done. Remember, we stopped in verse ten, and I'm at verse thirty, verse seven. So I'm done. Little children, and that's because I make the announcements. Why I'm not right on the dot. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committed sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. So this is the second thing he was manifested for. That he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin, for his seed remain in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. So So the second thing you will know why God was manifested was to destroy the work of Satan. So the first thing, God had to handle the sin problem so sin would not have to remain in our life. He handled that sin problem. The second thing, he says, I'm going to destroy the work of Satan. What Satan is doing in this earth to try to destroy my people, I'm destroying that work. You know what it means now? If you're not living for God, it's because you chose not to live for God because God has taken care of everything necessary for you to live for him. We don't have an excuse anymore to say, I'm not living for God, because he has taken care of it. Sin would have stopped you from going to heaven. He says, I'll take care of that. And then the devil that's giving you fits would have stopped you from going to hell, from going to heaven. He says, I'll take care of that too. So you don't have to worry about sin staying in your life, and you don't have to worry about the devil controlling you, because he took care of both those problems. So he manifested to take care of these two big problems that we have, which was sin, and the devil Hmm. how does he who does what is right is righteous the bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags which means that we don't have any righteousness but when we do righteously we are righteous so all we do is copy our daddy do what our daddy did and we become like our daddy So we don't have righteousness, but when we obey his word, we become righteous. Just as he is righteous, only righteousness springs from a righteous nature. We don't have a righteous nature, but guess what again? With him dwelling in us, he springs up righteousness in us. We don't have righteousness on our own. Somebody that don't have God in them don't have the capacity to really love somebody. Somebody that don't have God in them don't have the capacity to be righteous. So it's only by having God in you can you really have love. I'm not saying everybody that got God in them is really doing it. I'm saying you have the capacity to love if God is in you. His spirit is in you. You have the capacity to be righteous if God is in you. It's not on your strength, but it's on the strength of the Holy Ghost. God in you. That's how you become righteous. All sin of whatever kind or whatever degree is satanic in nature sin was originated by satan when there was no satan satan sinned nobody tempted him to sin he just sinned that is why he don't have a chance to repent and get right because he didn't have anybody messing with him say you just don't need to go ahead and do that We have the chance to get right and live for God because we were being provoked by Satan to sin. Remember the first sin? What was the first sin in the garden, right? I mean, after the first sin, because the first sin is Satan sinning against God. That's the first sin. But the second sin, after he sinned against God, he says, I'm going to make y'all like me. And so he went down in the garden to try to get Eve, and he did. So the bottom line is, He is the author of sin. He started sin. When there was no one to tempt him, he sinned. But all of us are tempted by him to sin because he started that in the garden. So sin is of Satan and is not of anything else. It's not even of you. Sin is of Satan. So when you do anything wrong, it's something that Satan had influenced your life to do. This is because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. He is the father of lies. One who is born, well, let me say this. To take part in sin at all is to take part in the activity of the devil. It is also opposing the work of God who manifested to put an end So when we sin and we just go ahead and sin, we're defeating the purpose, one of the purpose of why God came. He came to destroy the work of Satan. We shouldn't allow ourselves to be used by Satan or to be used to do the work of Satan. So we need to guard against what Satan is trying to get us to do. We need to make sure we let God be true in every man alive. So he came to destroy the work and we don't need to help with that work. The devil's work is sin. That, that's his thing. Even the smallest sin runs counter to the work of Christ. Believers are to overcome the evil one and not participate in what he is. One who is born of God does not sin. I know we we, we always read that and wonder what was that about. Well let's deal with that real quick and I'll get out of here. Specifically Because God's seed remains in him. And he cannot sin because he has been born of God. God's seed is his nature given to each believer at salvation. The point here is that the child partakes of the nature of his parent. Sin is not nor even can be anything but satanic. It can never spring from what God from from what a Christian truly is at the level of his regeneration. So what it means is when you become born again and the Holy Ghost now lives inside of you, whatever you do is not of the Holy Ghost. Whatever sin you commit is not of the Holy Ghost, it's not of the Spirit, it's not of God. So with the Holy Ghost dwelling in you, when you do wrong, it had nothing to do with God in you. So if you live by what God is in you, then you never sin. But because we don't allow God to dominate and reign in us, we end up sinning. Which is not of God, but of Satan. The nature of Satan. Now we like to say our flesh, yes, it's our flesh that gets pulled away by its own lust, and that's true. But what I'm saying is even when you commit that sin, it now support what Satan did from the beginning. And so with God dwelling in you, God cannot sin. So God in you never causes you to sin. That's why there's a scripture that says that, you know, God don't tempt any man. Because with God in you, you, you can't sin. So everything that pertains to sin have to do with the devil. Never have anything to do with God. God in you will never cause you to sin. That's why it says, that, that's what it means by it says, um, he that have God never sin. Because it's talking about with God working in you, you can never sin. But if you ignore God in you, then you sin. But if you can be one, to that, if you can be one to obey God in every way, you can never sin. This is why Jesus never sinned. Yes, I know he's God, but he was true to every obedience that he was supposed to be true to. So that's the difference between us and him. We didn't allow ourselves to yield solely to God the whole time. We never yield. We yield in many instances, but in many instances, we we, we give place. The Bible said don't give place to the de- devil. We gave place to the devil. But Jesus never did it. Jesus said, I'm walking that earth, and, you know, he shut the devil down. The devil tried to he shut him down because he allowed the spirit to control everything about him and not allow his flesh to control anything about him. Um, let's. Finish up here. Verse 10. In this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil also. Well, it didn't say also, but I'm telling you that. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. So, here is the deal what this is saying. By this are manifest the children of God and the children of the devil. How we're going to manifest that we're children of God is by living a righteous life. How we will manifest that we're children of the devil is by living a life of sin. So when we live our life daily as sinners, we're manifesting that we are of the devil. When we live a life of righteousness, we're saying that we are of God. Heavy, but it's the Bible. It's true. I can't, I can't like change the Bible for y'all. Can't change the Bible for myself. The Bible is the Bible. It's the Word of God. And so, if we're gonna be children of God, we need to practice righteousness. If we continue to live in sin, Then we're of the devil. The scripture is made plain the fundamental way in which God's children are manifest over against the children of the devil is through we live in by righteousness. Because a child of God is sinless at the core of his being, remember Christ in you, he is sinless. It's not saying you, it's christ in you is sinless that at the core he that is in you calls you not to sin and it's only when you not obey him is when you sin right he can never be manifest through sin so christ can never be manifested through sin he has to be manifested through righteousness but the devil on the other hand is manifest through sin When a Christian sin, he conceals who he really is rather than making it manifest. So when we sin, we're really concealing that we're children of God. But when we live righteously, we're manifesting that we are a child of God. When someone that's not a Christian sin, they're saying that I'm not a child of God. I am a child of the devil. God's manifestation was to take away sin and destroy the work of the devil so his righteousness can manifest in us at the end of the day that's really what it came down to god came to take care of that sin problem to destroy the work of the devil and allow us to live in righteousness we can't say that we can't live righteously before jesus came we could have said that but when jesus came he handled that where sin we don't have to live in sin where uh, the devil working our life, we don't have to submit to that. We don't have to do that. When we do that, it's because we are doing it on our own and not because we don't have the choice not to do it. So God's manifestation was to take away sins and destroy the work of the devil so his people can live in righteousness and live a right life. No, the law didn't prevent us from sin. Remember, we, we sinned. But the only way we know that we sinned in the law was just straight disobedience from what the law says. But in the law, you know we sinned and we had to use animals to shed their blood to get rid of it. Did I say something that um threw you off? Remember, remember, every time they handle sin remember the priests. Let's 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 go there. The high priest was the one that um that that, that conducted this ceremonial deal to get rid of sin for the people but he did that once a year and so really all the people was under the control of the high priest and their sin removal only was done once a year so let's say um the priest did his ritual and sin got removed and i decide that next year when he does it i'm not going to the, the, the 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 ceremony for him to do the ritual for my sin to be removed my sin is on me still but when, when Jesus came, we didn't need any priest to do that for us. And on top of it, we know that we can go straight to him. And it says that we confess our sins. So when he handled it, now the responsibility fell upon every one of us as individuals, didn't need no high priest. So we didn't have, you know, you know like even some shows we still see people go to that window of the Catholic Church and say, Father, I've sinned, you know, we were still at the beck and call of man, but when Jesus came, now we didn't have an excuse anymore to say, well, you know, the sin thing, you know, I, I couldn't make it. I was sick. The priest, you know, whatever it was, we had we, we had excuses we could have made before Jesus came. But when Jesus came and handled that sin problem once and for all, we didn't have to kill animals anymore, and we didn't have to go through the rituals of the priest. Now the responsibility falls squarely on our shoulders. That's why 1 John 1 and 9 says, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So sin has always been a problem, but Jesus handled it and handled it once and for all where it was not temporarily removed from us. And so when he came, it could be removed from us forever.